family. Family matters. We see it again in the book of Malachi, the last in our English versions, the last of the Old Testament prophets. And in Malachi chapter 4, he talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus 400 years after his time. And he says, behold, before that happens, I will send you Elijah the prophet. John the Baptist was that Elijah. And here's what he'll do. I'll send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. It's family. When Jesus Christ comes to the planet, he's going to change things in family because family matters. It's important. In Ephesians 4 and in the parallel passage, Colossians 3, they're fairly similar. The Apostle Paul shows us how important family is after going through redemption, 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 redemption. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, we get to chapter 4, and he says, therefore, here's what this means about life. And very quickly you find him talking to husbands and wives and parents and children. And why? Because family is important. It matters. And, not to belabor the point, but I'm going to give you some more reasons from Scripture why we know family is important and why it matters. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, the Apostle Paul says, if you've got a guy in your church and he wants to be one of the overseers, one of the pastors, one of the elders, here's some stuff you should look at. There's a list of 16 things you should look at before you say thumbs up to that guy being one of our pastors. Guess what's first on the list, it's he must be blameless, guess, guess what's first under that of 15 expressions of blameless? It is husband of one wife, ruling his own household well, having his children in control with all dignity. For if a man does not know how to take care of his household, how will he take care of the church of God? First thing you look at is, how's his family? Why? Because family matters. Because family is important. In 1 Timothy 5 and chapter 8, Paul's speaking about widows and who takes care of them. And family is to step up to the plate first before the burden falls upon the church. It's family. And he says there a general principle, because if any man will not provide for his own, he's worse than non-Christians, most of whom do provide for their own. It's family. Then we get to 1 Peter 3, and Peter addresses wives and husbands. I'm sorry, I skipped 1 Timothy 5. He speaks to younger widows. Here's what I want younger widows to do. What would you put on the list? Well, be prayer warriors. Well, they should be. Read a lot of scripture. Well, they should, but none of them could read in that day, and they didn't have any written scripture anyway. Well, they couldn't afford it. This was pre-Gutenberg times. So what's he tell them to do? He says, I want you to marry bear children, manage the household, don't give the adversary an opportunity for slander. It's family. So many times in Scripture we see that family matters, that family is important. Even the light of nature. Remember in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul uh, appeals to what he calls nature. Does not even nature teach you the thing that he's teaching them then? Gender role differences in appearance. Uh, does not even the light of nature, does not even nature teach us that family matters, right? Like, I didn't even need to say any of that because you all knew it, right? You all know it really matters. What do nations need? This might be interesting to you. 
What do nations most need? Sturdy, well-ordered families that produce good citizens because nations most need citizens of character and convictions and work ethic and all the rest. Where do, the, where do we get that for a nation? From the family. The nation that is not blessed with solid, sturdy families is not blessed. That's a place you don't want to be. So I'm doing this because family matters. That's number one. The rest of these five reasons why we're doing it will be shorter. We might spend our whole day today on why we're doing it. We'll see. Number two, I'm talking about family now because family is under duress right now. Right now. Now you're thinking, wonder which way he means because I can think of several ways. Well, here's what I mean. I mean COVID. COVID has really affected some of your families, huh? Some of it, it's for good. You know, now you're both home all day, every day, working from home. You get to pass each other and going in the hallway. You get to see each other more. You don't have commutes that take your time away from each other. On the other hand, now you're seeing each other all day, right? Now you're passing each other all the time. Add to that, now you're homeschooling. Now, some of you were homeschooling, and you're like, big, what's going on? I was already doing that. Yeah, but there's a whole lot of mamas who had them in public school or private school, and now guess what? All of a sudden, they're home, and they've got to learn laptop skills, and they've got to be able to navigate with where the teacher says they're going, and, it, and you've got multiple children and multiple classes. with different. It's a disaster. Right now, families are under duress. I've spoken to moms who have jobs that they perform for outside of their home, but they're spending 30, 40, 50 hours a week now homeschooling. I don't know how you moms do it. Hats off to mom. Just think about single moms working a full-time job. I know they have centers where you can deposit the kids. That's merciful. Think about single moms doing this all alone. We're doing this because family is under duress. We're also doing it because worse than that, not only is family under duress, family is under attack. It's under attack in our culture. Now, if you're blissfully ignorant of this, bless you. I'm sorry to crack your, to, to, to burst your bubble here. But the family is under attack from different places and in different quarters. The one I'm going to refer to is the cultural, the ascending cultural Marxism of our era which views the nuclear family. You say, what in the world is a nuclear family? For the first time in my life, I wondered that this week. So I looked it up. Where does that come from? Here's the answer. In, before we had nuclear power, before we had nuclear bombs, nuclear meant like you're getting down to the, nu- the nucleus of it. You're getting down to the essence. You're getting down to the core thing. So this is the nuclear family is the family at its core better, it's a biblical family. It's, it's a husband, it's one man married to one woman, and they have one or more children if God blesses them with that, and that is the nuclear family. It is viewed by our cultural Marxist friends and fellow patriots, they're not fellow citizens, it is viewed as a tool of the patriarchy wielded to oppress And we need to dismantle the oppressive patriarchy, and you can't dismantle oppression using its own tools. So the the nuclear family being one of its tools is not something we can work with. 
So there are new creations of what a family is. There are new definitions of what a family is. One of the well-known organizations that's very active in our nation right now has three initials for its name, has stated on their purpose page, here's what we're about. One of their points is we're about dismantling the nuclear family. They want to take it apart and build something in its place. The family is under attack. By the way, it is God who made the family. So when you attack the family, you are attacking God. They're attacking God. They don't want his order. They don't want his principles. They don't want his ways. Off with God's family. Off with what he created. We'll make it anything we want it to be. We're looking at this because family is under attack. Number four reason we're looking at this is because family is touched by the fall, right? Every family is to one extent or another damaged. Some so damaged that they're broken. Some so damaged that we would call them dysfunctional. Every family is touched by the fall because every human and every sinner is touched by the fall. And how do you form a family? You bring one sinner into very close proximity to another sinner every day for the rest of their lives. Let's watch that and see how that goes. And then they have some little sinners who are barbarians. Every family is touched by the fall. And we see the destructive effects of the fall in family immediately back in Genesis 4. Eve took the fruit and ate it. She gave it to her husband with her. He ate it. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. They tried to hide from God. God comes down and talks to them. And uh, one of the things that happens is, what does the man say? Her fault. The woman, you gave me your fault and her fault. Blame shifting, family. I don't know this because Scripture doesn't tell us, but I'm guessing there was no romance that night. Right? You blamed me to God? <laughs> the family. What happens next? Genesis chapter 4. They have a boy. Then they have another boy. The first boy kills the second boy because he's jealous. What do we learn from that? The fall has touched every family, brings corruption into every family, breaks things in every family. The family has been rocked by the fall. Your family is touched by the fall. Here's a better note. Number five, fifth reason, final reason why we're talking about family is because family, bless God, is being redeemed by Jesus Christ. By the gospel, Jesus is redeeming things, buying them back from the slave market to sin and, and darkness. And he's redeeming families and rebuilding them and reshaping them and reforming them. That's why so much scripture speaks to family and speaks about family. He's repairing brokenness. Some of you are not Christians. Maybe you're watching from your device and you're not a believer and you're looking into this thinking maybe I want to be a Christian. We're glad you're here thinking about that with us. And you're wondering what, what will happen to me? What will I get? What are the benefits of becoming a believer? Well, one is you go to heaven, not hell. That's pretty good. 
But then there are a whole lot of other things, and one of them is God will go to work in your family. He'll work on you as a husband, a wife, a parent, a child, a a sibling, a nephew, a niece. He goes to work in your family. He's redeeming family. So those are five reasons why we're doing that. Now, you endured the reasons why. I forgot to set my timer. Can I start now for 40 minutes? Is that okay? Not right, huh? Some of you are having a good day today. Very happy. Great day, amen. Bless you, brothers and sisters. So here's why we're into this. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about family. Not what you're hoping for. Not what you're expecting. I want to tell you that family is important. But you've got to remember, it's not God. It's not going to give you what only God can give you. That's why I read Psalm 63 earlier. This is a dry and thirsty land, and compared to feasting your soul on God, there's no water down. Yeah, but I got a really great wife and really wonderful kids. They are in the no water category. Because they don't really feed your soul, they cannot. Don't put that burden upon them. Don't give them responsibility for that. They cannot bear it. They cannot fulfill it. You have longings that only God can satisfy. There's a God-shaped hole in your soul. Your wife can't fix it. I'm looking at my wife right now. She's wondering, oh no, what's coming out? Looking right at my girl. 45 years. You and me, baby. But every now and then she gets unhappy with her life. She invariably assumes it's my fault. She thinks it's me. I'm the culprit. I should be doing something different to make her happy. And that might be true sometimes. Maybe I should be. She might have some legitimate things. But sometimes I'm pretty sure, no, 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 no. You need to go spend some more time with the Lord and fill your soul and feast your soul. Family is important, but I want to impress upon you, your family is not your God. Well, why would I say that? Because it's very easy to mistake your family for God, the central thing in your life, the organizing principle around which all else revolves. It's very easy to make that mistake. What really matters to you in life? My husband, my wife, my kids, my parents, family. I heard an interview with a former president, and I won't name him because he gives a wrong answer. He was asked in the interview, what is it on the planet that mean my mic's starting to go? What is it on the planet that really matters? What's your answer? What's your answer? Yeah, God. You, got, you see where this is going. What did he say? Family. You missed it by one, brother. It's very easy to make that mistake. Just remember, what's the first commandment for you on the planet? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. There's hardly even any left over for her. <laughs> with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Second commandment, love your neighbor. She's your closest neighbor. But God comes first. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema, because it starts with the Hebrew word Shema, which means hear. Hear, listen, hear, O Israel. The Lord thy God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and these commandments which I teach you shall be in your heart, and, then we get to family, 
you shall teach them diligently to your children when you walk in the house, when you walk by the way. But first, it's you and God. And that's what your children need most, is you and God. First, it's you and God. In Ephesians 4, you get the family, but not, after, not until after three chapters of you and God, you and God, you and God, you and God. Then we're going to come to family. There was a time when Jesus was in somebody's house, and he's teaching in the house. And some people come in from outside and say, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to talk to you. Jesus says, all right, object lesson right now. This is my chance. I'm seizing it. And he doesn't say, oh, okay, y'all got to wait. My mom's outside. Hold on. I got to go talk to mom. No. He says, uh, new definition of mother for y'all. New definition of family for y'all. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers and who are my sisters? But these who do the will of God. Uh, family is even redefined so that your real family is fellow people who are in Christ and are seeking to do the will of God. So it's important that you realize you're a Christian, you have a family, but there's something more important. It's your walk with Jesus Christ. The Westminster Catechism. What is man's chief end? Can you answer it with me? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end is not get you a wife. Man's chief end is not get you a husband. Get some kids. No, man's chief end is glorify God and enjoy God. And that's important for a lot of reasons, so God will be first in your life, not him, not her, not them, but also so you'll know where to get your soul fed. We're fallen. Because we're fallen, inside there are deep longings. One of the reasons I came to Christ, I had tasted what I could find in the world, and it left me thirsty, it left me dry, it left me wondering, is that all, and then I die, is that it? There's got to be something bigger, and I thought, started thinking, maybe there is a God, maybe it's him. It was. It was. He was exactly what I needed. Inside you, there are deep longings, and you think, if only I had married a different man, then things would be different. Well, maybe, all right, maybe you are married to a bad guy, but the longings are going to be satisfied in God. So don't expect to find things in family that aren't there. You're not growing in your walk with Jesus Christ. You're not feeling His love all in your soul. You're not hungering and thirsting and panting after Him in righteousness. And there's an emptiness inside because of that. But you think, so I need more family. Well, maybe you do need more work on your family. But more than that, you need the things of God for your soul. Do you remember a woman in the Old Testament who wanted a son so badly? 
She's going into the temple and crying and praying, oh God, give me a son. I want a son. I ain't nobody unless I get a son. Her name was Hannah. And her well-meaning, if not slightly naive husband said, what? Am I not better to you than ten sons? And her answer was, nope. Nope. But I know who's better than ten sons. God. The Lord your God. You remember Job? God took his health. God took his stuff. God took his children. He was left with a wife who was the proverbial dripping faucet. All she had to say to him was, curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak like one of the foolish women. <laughs> How's that for a husband-wife interaction? Family's touched by the fall. She's a dripping faucet, and he tells her so. Job didn't have much left in terms of family, but by the end of the book, he finds deep satisfaction and trust in God and joy in God. Crucial that you remember that. It's not your family that can satisfy your soul. Now, a good family does a whole lot, no doubt about it, all right? If things are doing pretty well in family, maybe you're single, but you got parents, you got friends, you got whatever, and they're your family. A good family does a lot for her life. But what you really need is God at the center of your existence. God at the center of your longings and your soul. This is why we read Psalm 63 earlier. This is what David tells us. Here's where you find satisfaction. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My heart longs for you. My soul thirsts for you in this dry and weary or thirsty land. Family's great. God is way better. All right, here's a, here's a second thing I want to say. After five reasons why we're saying it, there was the first thing to say. Here's the second thing to say, which is almost identical to the first thing to say. Is that okay? I'm basically repeating myself but trying to use different words. I, I hinted at this already, but here it is. Second thing that you got it. The chief end of man, I just want to remind you, is not family. That is not what life on the planet is all about. Family. Well, what do you want to do with your life? Well, I want to have family. All right, that is not what you're made for. It's not the chief end. That's not the big picture. That's not the whole thing. The chief end of man is not family. Now, where do we get the chief end of man thing? From 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31, where Paul says, Therefore, whether you eat or whether you drink, most mundane, basic things needed, or whatever you do, that's anything else on the planet that you might do, do it all to the glory of of God. So why do you want to have family? Why do you, Demetri? You're engaged. You're engaged to Julia. Bless you. Why do you want to marry her? Well, because I like her, because she's a companion. Those are all important. Those are all good. And she's a great girl. Really enjoyed it. We talked this week. We had a FaceTime. Really, not FaceTime. It was a Zoom. But why do you want to marry her? Because I want to glorify God. In our union. I want to bring God glory and honor and pleasure in our marriage. 
Family is not an end in itself. Family is a means to a greater end. The greater end is, I want to bring glory to God. This is one very important way that humans can do that. So I want to be a wife, as Scripture tells me to be a wife. And I want to be a husband, as Scripture tells me to be a husband. I want to be a parent, child, as Scripture tells me to be, so that I can bring glory and honor and blessing and praise to God. Now, there are other ends for family. There are subordinate and lesser ends. Genesis chapter 2, I will make you a help. Suitable to you. One that corresponds to you. A great wife is a good help. It's like Adam looked at, I'm sorry, God looked at Adam and said, boy, you need help. Here's a woman. This is what you need. You need help. Great for companionship. This is indicated in Malachi 2.14. She is your companion and your wife by covenant. If you ask me what do I like most about Debbie, there's a lot of things, everything, a lot of things, but I'd probably tell you her companionship. I just like being with her. I just want to be with her. This Thursday, I shouldn't even tell you this, I'm telling you anyway, this Thursday, I'm knocking off at noon, maybe even sooner, depends on what I can get done. We're getting on our motorcycle, and we're headed out to Western Maryland, staying near, in this cabin place, has running water, near Deep Creek Lake. But then on Friday, we'll get on the moto first thing in the morning, and we're going south into West Virginia, up in the mountains. We're going to spend our day freezing our butts, probably, in the mountains up there. Uh-huh. Just cruise it. I got it all laid out. I got it in the GPS already. It's going to take us from here to there to there to there to there. I put comms in our helmets so we can talk now. It used to be like she'd whack me on the shoulder and start yelling, hey, you know, and I'd try to listen. Now we can, we can just talk. It's so cool riding the moto and talking to your girl right behind you. We're going to spend Thursday, Friday, Saturday. We'll get home Saturday evening as late as we dare in the mountains of West Virginia, enjoying her companionship. I love that. And another ancillary purpose for marriage is procreation. The earth must be peopled. And for purity, 1 Corinthians 7, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, but you're weak, and that's very tempting. So for many, for most, get married. Purity. So there are some lesser reasons for marriage. What was the list? Uh, companion, or help, companionship, procreation, purity. But the real reason to get married is this is how I believe I can best glorify God. And in that role, I want to bring glory to God in heaven. This will help you when things aren't going too well in marriage and you're losing steam and you're thinking, maybe I'll bail. Why don't you bail? Well, one, because Christ is redeeming this. He can help you fix it. But two, because I'm in it to glorify God. And if it takes toughing it out for a while, if it takes working on things for a while, if it takes fixing some things, if it takes humbling myself and listening more, if it takes learning some things, that's worth it because I'm here and I'm in it to glorify God. So it helps you when your family needs change. Let me give you an application from a broad principle in Habakkuk chapter 3. I believe we have these verses. There we are. So here's Habakkuk. 
and he's in bad times in his, his home. And so he's going to tell us how to feel about that. And you can apply this metaphorically to the family. Though the fig tree should not blossom, stuff ain't going too good at home. Nor fruit be on the vines, my marriage is not bliss. The produce of the olive tree fails. We're all feeling kind of unhappy right now. And the fields yield no food. And the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Life's pretty bad for Habakkuk right now, right? Though there's none of that, notice what comes next. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. And I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. So even when things aren't going too well, you can say, yeah, but I got Jesus Christ. But I'm a child of God by grace through faith. And you can say, and I want his glory in my home. All right. Oh, they gave me a timer. I can't quite read it. Here's the third thing I want to say about the family today. It is this. The origin of the family is divine. Where do we get family? Where does this whole thing come from? There are two competing stories. There is the story of naturalism, and there is the story of supernaturalism. The story of naturalism is huge in our day. Naturalism is the presupposition. It's not scientific. It's not a science. It's something you presuppose and bring to your science. It's the presupposition that all there is is nature. Nature is the whole show. There is no God. All we have is dirt, and we are dirt that grew up and got real smart, but we're just dirt. We're just nature. That's all there is. And in that story, in naturalism's origin story, where did family come from? Well, it's just something that appeared a million years ago. It's a social contract. Maybe it was on the Malaysian island of Java Hut, of Java with Java Hut. Maybe it was in Java Hut number three. where the biggest, baddest Java man hunter was about to go away for a couple days to bring home some bacon, but he's tired of leaving for three days and coming home and, and finding out things got mixed up, and I thought she was with me, but now she's with him, and I don't know who those kids are and all that. So the smartest, biggest, baddest Java man in Java Hut number three said, I know what I'm going to do. We're going to start a thing called family and you'll covenant with the woman, and you two will stick together, and you'll have babies, and they'll be your children, and you will raise them, and when you go away, don't nobody mess with her. So it's viewed as a social construct to achieve certain ends that were needed on the planet. That's the view of naturalism. And this being held, as you see in our day, men and women and marriage and the family can be whatever we decide we want them to be, whatever roles we take, they're engineered by us and not by God. This is all throwing off God. But what is the origin of the family? Genesis chapter 2. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman 
and brought her to the man. I got a pastor friend in Baltimore City. I've heard him numerous times. He calls his wife Rib. How endearing, huh? Hey, Rib. Let's go. Let's go get dinner. Rib. The rib the Lord had taken, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And then the man said, and the Hebrew is like on fire. It's so emphatic. It's so crazy. It's like Adam's going, whoa! And he says, this at last. I've just seen all the other animals. There wasn't one corresponding to me. They went by two by twos, and I'm a one. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of Ish, man. It's right that womb man sounds like man plus something, because that's the way it was in the very beginning. It was Ish and Isha, the feminine ending. And then God says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed because they were not yet fallen. What are we seeing? It is God who established the state of holy matrimony. It's not a social construct, not a human invention. This is what God intends. It, it comes from God. So we don't get to redesign it. We don't get to make it into things that he hasn't intended it to be. So, I can see it now. It says zero, 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 zero. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about the family. Now, I want to be real sensitive to the fact, no doubt, somebody here, you're struggling in your family right now, and it hurts. I get that. I, I don't want to be, I'm not callous to that. I understand. It can be very, very painful. And some of you may be, it's like greater family or something. It's just so dysfunctional. You've had to even distance yourself just to avoid the pain. I get that. I understand that. It's life on a fallen planet. But family is important. It's worth working on. Family matters. It's worth spending time and energy on. Family matters. Don't let it be a mess, and you're not trying to fix it. Y'all be trying to fix it, especially man, head of household. What's it mean to be head? It means you take the lead in fixing stuff. You take the lead in making it a place of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit. You take the lead in making the climate of the family those things. Family. Let me speak to some of you who are maybe not Christians, and you're wondering again, what, what will I get if I become a Christian? What will it do to me? Well, maybe you have a great family. Maybe you have no family. Maybe you have a dysfunctional family. But I can tell you this. What you really need is God first. And then worry about family. And then everything else will get better. And then everything else can come into its place. You need Jesus Christ to be your Lord and your Savior. And I'm going to call you to him by way of prayer now. Would you all bow and pray with me, please? Father in heaven, 
We look up to you as our creator and our God. There is no other like you. There is no other that we desire, that we need like you. You alone can satisfy our deep, deep longings of soul. You alone can fill that big, gaping hole in our hearts. Father, there are people listening today who have not yet come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and found your grace. Please be merciful to them. Please draw them. Lord Jesus, draw them to yourself. Maybe they would want to pray something like, Father, I'm a sinner. I've been worshiping other gods. I've been avoiding you, ignoring you. But now I'm coming. I'm turning. I'm coming to you, God the Father, in the name of God the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want you to make me clean. I want you to change me and renew me and give me a new heart. I want you to please forgive me of my trespasses. Pardon me for my sins. Make me a new creature in Jesus Christ. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before I hand over the floor to Pastor Stan, I want to say, if you just prayed with me, and 